Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope everything's okay in your world. Today, I want to talk about something that kind of piggybacks on what I talked about last week in episode 234. These can be somewhat related, and it can be a tricky thing when our partner triggers our child's anxiety or OCD. And that can have ripples in many different ways. So you might feel like, okay, I'm getting a good handle on my child's anxiety or OCD, and then I have my partner, and they're just gone around triggering them, and that can be frustrating. Um, or they can be the focus of the child's anxiety or OCD theme. We're going to talk about that too. And that can cause not only problems with the relationship between your partner and your child, but it can also create issues in your own relationship because it can be really frustrating. And you need to be a solid team because raising a child with anxiety or OCD is hard enough. And often, just like other struggles, like a, a loss, a serious loss, or financial difficulties or any other stressor, it can make or break a relationship, right? So, and a lot of times it breaks a relationship and not makes the relationship. It's less often that our struggles bring us together. More often, unfortunately, they tear us apart and it it definitely doesn't have to be that way. We can come together and it can be, it can actually strengthen a relationship if there's good communication and you work on these bumps as they pop up. And this can definitely be a bump. So we're going to get all into it today. I'll give you um, some suggestions on how to talk to your partner, some um, episodes that maybe can be helpful for them to listen to, depending on the issues that you're dealing with. And, uh, you know, maybe some of this stuff can can help, I hope. Before we get started, though, I do want to say thank you to NoCD. They are sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy available in the U.S. and even outside of the U.S. in many countries. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. Or I will leave a link in the show notes. You can check that out. Okay, so let's talk about this triggering thing. Um, This was a topic that was suggested by somebody in my AT Parenting community, and I do feel like it is something that is a universal problem with many, many couples. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do this podcast episode next week because that's a great topic. And I love getting topic ideas from my membership community because that AT Parenting community kind of get a front seat to not only soak up my resources, but you actually get to pretty much craft my resources. And I take ideas and suggestions from those members on what to do for different podcast episodes and different YouTube episodes. So they, we got to thank those parents in that membership for constantly churning out topic ideas. Um, and if you are interested in becoming a member, you can join the AT Parenting Community at atparentingcommunity.com and get on the wait list. We open the doors roughly every three to four months. So about four times a year. Is that four times? Yeah. So we are going to be opening up our doors in December. So if you're on the wait list, you'll get notified. So check that out. We have a lot of fun over there. I do weekly live classes. 
We have a members only website. There's so much stuff going on. And they actually get free access to a lot of my courses, over $300 worth of my courses. So that's pretty crazy in and of itself. Okay. I don't know. Sorry. I went on that tangent. So let's talk about what ways your partner can trigger your child. So some of them are very different and I don't want to leave anyone out. So I'm going to talk about the most obvious ways. And then I also want to talk about emotional contamination, which is completely separate, but I do want to talk briefly about that. I'll talk about that at the end because sometimes our partner can actually literally be the trigger in the sense that what they do triggers our kids. So the first part of this episode, I'm going to talk about more of having a partner who is triggering to our child, possibly because they are insensitive to our child's anxiety or OCD, or they have a different philosophy than you. And so they often wind up triggering your child, or they don't know what your child's triggers are. So it can show up in different ways. And in the second half of this podcast, we're going to talk about when your partner is the trigger. So very different, but I think they're both equally important to talk about. Okay. So let's talk about when your partner is insensitive. A lot of times when we see that insensitivity, they often trigger our kids because they may know what triggers our child. They may know that, oh, we can't talk about this or forcing them to do that is a struggle, but they may philosophically disagree with you. So the the first type of parent, we're going to break this down into different partners and talk about them individually because they are, they're different, right? For different reasons, our partners trigger our kids. So the insensitive one may feel like, you know, we just need to use some tough love. They may not be on the same, well, they probably aren't on the same page as you. And so they may know what triggers your child, but they feel like I'm not going to baby them or coddle them because that's just going to grow this issue. And so I'm going to do what I want to do because your anxiety or OCD doesn't tell me what to do. And it can be for different reasons. It could be because they philosophically disagree with what you're doing or the approaches for anxiety or OCD, or it could be because they are more self-focused and they don't want to have to adapt their life for anxiety or OCD. And so there's some resentment there and it could be a combination of both, right? So in those situations, and I'm actually going to add the third one, which is the partner who doesn't understand the triggers. So maybe they are on board with you or they agree, but they really just don't understand your child's anxiety or OCD. And so there's a lack of knowledge that's going on. The best thing to do is have some open communication. And this can be really, really hard depending on your partner and their level of communication, because some partners just don't communicate well. And you want to figure out, just like we're trying to figure out our child's core fear, core discomfort before we tackle their anxiety or OCD. I want to know, it's going to sound like we're going to psychoanalyze our partners, but I would want to know what the core issue is behind the trigger. So is the core issue that my partner is not agreeing with me, doesn't like the way I handle my child's anxiety or OCD and so wants to handle it differently? Or is there core reason for triggering my child because they don't want to be told what to do? And maybe they have resentment and anger towards the way their child has turned out. And so they're kind of like, I'm going to do what I want to do. You don't tell me what to do. And so it's not that they disagree philosophically. Maybe they're not even into what you're doing therapy-wise or approach-wise. They just feel like this is horrible. I don't like it. And the way I'm going to handle with it, handle this is just ignore it. 
and do what I want to do. So that's maybe the second core reason for this triggering. Or like I said, maybe they don't know the triggers. And so there's just like a lack of information. And the fourth one is where they are emotional contamination. They're the emotional contamination target, or maybe they make a lot of noise when they're eating. So they're like literally a walking trigger for the child. And so the partner that comes with a lot of grief. And also it can be very easy and understandable to take that personally. And so that might be the the final reason. So the first step is figuring out which one is your partner, which one, and they might have a couple of categories. You might say it's all of them, Natasha, but you want to know that because how you approach it, just like everything else, it's going to depend on what the core core issue is. So if I have a partner who is insensitive because they disagree with me philosophically, and they think they can punish this out of my child, then I want to start to educate them on whatever level they are willing to do it to get them to see what anxiety and OCD is and how those punitive approaches just aren't going to work. And my last episode, episode 234, talks about that. And that might be a really good episode for them to listen to, which was why consequences don't work with anxiety and OCD and what does work. And so that will be a great episode. And I created that for people who just want something to show their partner, because this episode is more for you. It's not something necessarily to have your partner listen to, although you can. Um, And I do have another episode. I have two episodes on when people don't understand anxiety or OCD. So it's episode 49. um, And that actually is an episode for you to give to somebody who doesn't understand your child's anxiety. And so it's supposed to help. I kind of made it generic where it can help siblings, family, and friends. But I know a lot of people were having their partners listen to that one. And then I created a totally separate one, episode 50, on explaining OCD to people who don't get it. And again, I made that for siblings, family, and friends who don't understand OCD um, because that was asked of me. So if you have a partner who just doesn't understand anxiety or OCD, there's just a lack of information or understanding, those would be two good episodes to say to them, hey, um, could you just listen to this episode? And I think also it's really important on how you approach your partner. And I learned this when I was working with my own husband, who's not here anymore, he's passed away, but where sometimes we would not see things eye to eye in that, you know, I was supposed to handle the anxiety and OCD. And that was my deal, which I totally get because of what I do. But sometimes I would disagree with how he was approaching something. And he was very insecure around the parenting aspect. And I totally get that because it must be really hard to live with a child therapist. And um, I think he would have had insecurities around parenting anyway. And I think a lot of partners do. A lot of times one partner takes on a big portion of the parental role and the other partner takes on other responsibilities because as a team, it's common for us to divide and conquer. And a lot of times one person is taking the lead on our child's anxiety or OCD. That's normal. And that is okay. Um, although sometimes that builds some resentment because then you have one partner who feels a little bit more out of the loop and no, no matter how involved or not involved they are, they're like one step behind. And so how we talk to each other, regardless of who we're talking about, whether it's a partner or a boss or our kids, when we have structural criticism, I don't want to preach this to you, but I'm just saying, if you want this to go well, learning how to approach people and how you're going to frame it can be a really helpful thing. 
And so what I used to say to my husband is, I want you guys to have a really good relationship and I want you to feel good. You know, I want you to feel like well bonded and I want you to have really positive experiences with the kids. And, and so I know anxiety and OCD can be like confusing and their issues are like a struggle. And so I just, maybe I want to outline some approaches that I've been taught that can work, you know? And so basically you want to, to show them that you're, you're coming at them in this way because you want them to have a good relationship with the child instead of, you know, you're doing damage to your child. You are approaching it all wrong. You know, you're triggering them left, right, and center. You're undoing all of our work. (laughs) You might feel that way. I get that. And it's, those are valid feelings. I do understand that, but it's not going to be heard necessarily. I know it wouldn't have been heard by my partner if I framed it that way. Um, although I felt like that sometimes, I mean, a lot of, most of the time he took a back seat, which was fine in my house. Sometimes I think parents can resent that, but he did so many other things that I couldn't do and that I wasn't good at. And so we were very good at dividing and conquering. Um, of course, now that he's gone, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do this, this, and this. And I have even a greater appreciation for the things that he did that were not about our kids' anxiety or OCD. So you might want to pause and say, what do I appreciate about my partner? What things are they bringing to the table that if they weren't here, I'd be like, oh my gosh, how do I do that? He was our navigator. There were so many things that he did, not just the basic things like the guy things. It's a stereotype, changing the light bulbs or changing the filters or, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there is that, but even just some regular things like he always got us from A to B, you know, or in our trips, he was always the planner of like how the logistical aspect of everything. He was our bargain shopper, you know, like he did a lot of other stuff. And I'm bringing that up because I think before we move into how to problem solve and how to get our partner to change, I always feel like it's good for us to sit and this is going to sound really cheesy. So just bear with me, but sit in gratitude. And before you're about to approach anybody about something that you want them to change or something that you're trying to control about them, energy wise, it's really good to sit with gratitude for a second. I know that sounds very woo woo ish, but I think there's, you're going to be more effective when you come from a place of appreciation and that's going to be felt by your partner. So sit there and visualize the things that you do appreciate that your partner does that are outside of your children, right? What are their strengths? What things are they bringing to the table? And now if you're like nothing, Natasha, they're a nightmare. I hate them. (laughs) Okay. Well then you need to probably find a good, like marital counselor or divorce attorney. There are times where this is, it's gone way so South. And maybe the thing that's really the last straw is how they're treating your child with anxiety or OCD. Like maybe you thought, you know, I can stomach this for a while, or maybe I'll stomach this until the kids grow up, but this is the last straw. Now you're messing with my kids' mental health. I'm going to have a problem. So I'm not talking to those people out there because I'm sure there are a few of those where they're like, there's nothing salvageable. Okay. That's a different issue. But when you have a partner they're multifaceted. Like there are things that are great and there are things that are not great and relationships require work. And um, that can sound uh, exhausting, but it doesn't have to be. So I, I would approach your partner with the area that they're struggling with. So if it is, I don't understand anxiety or OCD, you just need to understand this more. You can say, you know, I love you and look, I'm taking the lead on this or whatever, but you would really be helping me if you could just listen to this 45 minute episode on just what is OCD? 
because I, I totally get that you're very busy and like we divide and conquer and you're doing your own thing, but just you understanding OCD is going to make a huge difference in our house. And that ripple effect is going to help your relationship because, you know, our daughter loves you to death. But when you don't understand her OCD, which is totally not your fault because you're doing your thing and we need you to be doing your thing, then she's going to feel like you don't get her and, you know, replace she for he or they, whatever. But that's how you want to approach the conversation. So having them listen to an episode, they may not dive into, they may not completely dive into my full OCD course or my full anxiety course. Now, some dads do, and I do get a lot of dads that email me and say, I'm so glad that you have this video course. It's so easy for me to get through and I can't go to therapy appointments. So it's just nice to have these really quick videos where I can learn the skills. And that's an option too. You know, I've got a whole online school and I've got courses that are like two, three hours. So within a week or two, they can knock that out and have all those skills. And you can check that out at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. But even if you can get them to listen to a podcast episode, because you're not, you may not be able to get them to read a book. So if they don't understand or anxiety or OCD, that's an avenue to go to. And to not have that expectation that they're going to maybe necessarily understand anxiety or OCD to the level that you do. And then that is okay. So that's one issue. Now let's say you feel like, Hey, Natasha, my partner gets anxiety or OCD. We've gone through it. They've been to therapy sessions. They get it, but they just are insensitive. They feel like, you know, tough love. I need to consequence this. So you have a philosophical difference. So you're like, it's not even about anxiety or OCD. They also just don't get it. And they just want to punish it for whatever reason. Maybe it's an inconvenience to them. Like, Hey, I want to go and I want to sit at the table and not have to worry about the, you know, them crying about this, that, or the other. So again, if they're willing to listen to a podcast episode, that's just a, it's just a baby step. You know, it's just getting some information to them from somebody else, because a lot of times, and I know this is frustrating, but a lot of times they'll listen to someone else more than they'll listen to you about these things. And I know when I did therapy with couples, that was frustrating for some parents where they'd be like, I've told him that a million times, but you say it one time in therapy. And then he's like, well, Natasha said, and I get that that is very, very annoying, but that's common. And that's okay. I mean, we have that with our kids too, right? My kids were in the school line. We were driving to school and they were telling me what the difference is between anxiety and OCD. And they were like, legit, like let's educate mom on this. And I've had my oldest daughter argue back and forth whether she has OCD or not. And we were arguing about the DSM criteria. And I was like, you know, people pay me money for this. <laughs> you know? I'm like, I'm the expert, not you. But our family members don't want to hear it from us. And that's okay. That's normal. That's how it goes. So um, episode 234, why consequences don't work with anxiety or OCD would be a really good episode where you can say something. And again, it's how you approach it, right? You can say, I love you. And I love the kids and I want you to feel the love from the kids and the kids adore you. But, you know, I'm worried that this can ruin re your relationship with them. And I want you to soak up the kids and I want you to feel good about the kids and I want it to be positive for you. And I don't, this is what I used to say to my husband. I'd say, I don't control your relationship with our kids, but I wish for you that it would be rewarding. And I get that parenting a child with anxiety or OCD it's not intuitive a lot of times. And so, and then you might say, you know, could you listen to this episode? 
And in that episode, I, I purposely make it so that I don't talk about, you know, is harsh discipline or authoritative discipline better or worse? It's just what works. And so it's not about what's right or wrong because you do you. I don't care, but I'll just tell you what doesn't work for anxiety or OCD. And so hopefully that could open up some people who are willing to. Now, if you have a clam who's not willing to open up, have you ever tried to open up a clam that was like completely locked shut? You know, you get like a bowl full of clams and they're all open, but you have one that's like hard as a rock and there's no way you're going to pry that open. Well, if you've got one of those, nothing's, nothing I say, nothing I suggest is going to work. Like that clam is so hard. You're going to have to go to a clam specialist. <laughs> it's kind of stupid, but you're going to have to go to a therapist, you know, and work on the relationship. And if some of you are that far gone, you might need some intervention that way. And it is energy and time well spent because it can break your relationship and it can really hurt your kids. And so it is definitely worth it. You might want to get a marital counselor for something like that. But I'm not talking about the closed clams today. I'm talking about clams that are partially open. If we have any, you know, even if you have that little opening and you see that clam, right, you can pry it open. It doesn't, they don't have to be wide open, but you need a little bit of space to be able to wiggle in there and say, would you just please for me, listen to episode 234. That's really helpful. Or would you just take this online class? The videos are like 15 minutes each. Or you could, if they're a reader, you could say, can you just listen to this audiobook or read this book? I just know from my experience with parents, that was lower on the totem pole of options. <laughs> they were less likely to do that. Like the less time investment, the better, and the easier it was to digest the information, the better. So um, if they run or they do something or they exercise and they would be listening to a podcast in their ear or an audio book, that would be good too. Talking back to OCD by John March is kind of my go-to for like just a really basic outline of child OCD. So I think that that can be really helpful. So moving from there, I feel like another thing that we can do is kind of do the cliff notes version for our partners. So if they are triggering our kids and they don't realize what they're doing or why they're doing it, it might be helpful for you privately to write them all down, you know, or maybe they're just a few things. And then when your partner is in a good mood, you approach them and you just say, one thing that I'm doing to help myself, right? So start with you that really how you approach anybody. I have found this as a therapist and also just in relationships in general, how I approach that initial conversation is really important on how well it's going to go. And so start with yourself. And this is what I always do with my kids. When I have something that I want to have them change, I start with myself, you know, like I would never yell at you or curse at you like that. And so when you do that to me, it hurts my feelings because I would never do that to you. So I start always with myself, just like communication 101, you know? And so I would start with, it can be overwhelming for me, you know, because let's just, I'm going to use just a generic John for our, the kid, just for simplicity purposes. So let's say we have a son named John. It's really hard for me because I know sometimes I trigger John and I know that John's anxiety or OCD has a lot, is a lot of triggers. And it can be confusing. It can be overwhelming. I know sometimes I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I'm sure you do too. So what I'm doing is I'm talking about me and I'm, I'm weaving in things that I think maybe my partner feels right. So maybe they feel like they have to walk on eggshells or maybe they feel like it's always changing or maybe they feel it's overwhelming. And so maybe I don't communicate that too much to my partner. Maybe my partner thinks I've got it all good and 
whatever. And there can feel like, you know, for some male partners, they can feel like emaciated or they can feel hopeless. Like I, they don't have the tools or the abilities to help their child. So there's a lot of things that go on below the surface that often aren't expressed. But if we start to vocalize our own struggles, um, and if you don't have those struggles, it's some, it's still good to maybe highlight it that way. You don't have to like pretend, but to say, you know, it's a lot. I know it's a lot. It can be a lot for me sometimes. And I'm sure it is a lot for you sometimes. So it's not really lying. And then you want to say, what I have found is sometimes I like have to remind myself of his triggers. So the best way to get somebody to ever listen to what you want them to do is to frame it in a you situation. What do you do? You might say, you know, these are the triggers that really upset him and then kind of list them. And then you might say, these are the triggers that we're working on not accommodating because there are going to be triggers that you are working on. And there are going to be triggers that you're ignoring to some extent. And that's the question for you as well is, you know, is your partner triggering things in your child that you don't want to be accommodating? So we have to kind of look back at ourselves as well and say, we don't want to be over accommodating. Like I'll give you an example. When my son is irritated, he wants everybody to be quiet. And he's been very sensitive lately about noise. He wasn't always like that, but when his mood isn't great or when he, his anxiety or OCD is triggered, he gets very upset with noise. And then when he's fine, noise doesn't bother him, but I'll say to, and also he worries about things getting stuck in his head. So he has periods of time where he doesn't want us to sing certain things. There's particular, particular songs too, that he doesn't want to get stuck in his head that have been stuck in his head before, which is an OCD issue. And so we're not allowed to sing. Well, that's not okay. And so that's something that if we triggered him or if my partner triggered him, if I had a partner now, I wouldn't tell my partner not to do that. Um, I would explain to my partner, if my partner's then getting sensitive about it, I would say, and again, I start with myself, uh, you know, I know it's really, and maybe I would do this late at night when we're getting ready for bed or whatever, but I'd be like, you know, I'm going to use John as my John Doe example today, but I might say, I know it's so frustrating when John gets upset or angry that we can't sing. I know his OCD, you know, makes it get stuck in his head and he has like it on repeat and it overwhelms him. We have to teach him that he has to learn to sit with the discomfort, but I know it can get frustrating. So that empathizing and that kind of highlighting it without even talking about it to our partner, like it's our partner thing. Like I saw you roll your eyes and I saw you that yelled at him and can't yell at him. It's his OCD and he's not trying to be upsetting. It's just you know, that's a trigger depending on your partner, but most partners will probably get defensive when you say it that way. But if you say it from your own perspective, like I just did, it might be better received than the other way. And so how we talk can be, and I know it's frustrating. You might be thinking, I don't have to like worry about how I frame things to my partner. I already have to do that with my kids and it's exhausting. Well, human relationships are exhausting. (laughs) They are it will save you time in the long run because if your partner doesn't feel attacked, they're more likely to take on the suggestions that you're giving them versus if they feel attacked, they're going to get defensive. They might shut down. Um, they might take their heels in. You're not going to get the end result that you're hoping for. So just like when I'm telling parents not to consequence their kids because it just won't work, I'm telling partners, don't come at your partner in an aggressive, you shouldn't do this sort of way because it just won't work for most of them. Many partners, most partners aren't going to be like, 
oh, thanks for telling me that. I'm glad that I'm ruining my child and everything I'm doing is wrong. You have to watch how we phrase things. But we might say, these are the areas that we're not working on right now. Um, And so it's too overwhelming. And so what we're trying to do and using the word we, not you, how about, I'm going to just take it from my own personal life because that's all I've got. Let's say we're talking about my son and he's got eating issues with his OCD. And maybe for right now, we're not going to pressure him to eat. It's not our, I actually don't do that anyway, but um, let's say my partner is saying, and I'm just making this up. My husband never did this, but let's just say partner is saying, you need to finish all of that or what you haven't eaten that you're wasting it. And that's a triggering thing. Then I might say, you know, uh, and just replace what I'm using as an example with your situation, because it's going to be different. But I might say something like, I know it's so frustrating to see that he leaves his food there and like one, he's wasting food and two, he's, you know, he's not getting the nutrients he needs. And I'm saying all that because that's what my partner thinks, not necessarily what I think, right? So we're saying it kind of validating what our partner feels so that we're, we're engaging them, right? Yes, it is annoying. He's wasting his food and he's not eating good things. He's like not getting any nutrients. Yes, I get that, right? So we're saying, I get that it's frustrating that he's not, or it, it can see, it can be so frustrating when, and then you highlight how they feel. So they feel like they, they, they're hurt and understood, but a therapist says, or, but what we're working on right now, whatever. Cause I know some of you aren't seeing a therapist, but you might say something like his OCD is overwhelming. And so we're taking it one step at a time. And, and so we're not focusing on what he eats because that actually shuts him down more. And so I know that's really hard for me not to say anything either, but the better way that we're getting him to do it is blah, 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 blah. Right. This isn't about our fit or learning about how to eat. It's about how to talk to our partner. So that's how I would say it. And you have to be careful how you frame it. If you say the therapist said, we're not supposed to say da, 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 da. Well, then now you're actually setting your partner up to hate the therapist. Because now we have this specialist that's in our business, in our house, telling us what to do. And you can get a partner very defensive and you can kind of get them spoiled on therapy and on the therapist. I mean, I've had parents who've done that and they've come in and they said, my husband says that, you know, Natasha's not part of our family. And so she needs to butt out. I've had that. And it's not how I would necessarily, it's not how I would frame anything to the partner in that situation. I never even met the partner partner refused to come to therapy, but however it was being communicated to the partner, it was not going down well. (laughs) Now, some partners, it may not, you might say, Natasha, I I am beautiful at this. Communication is not my problem, but my husband's not receiving it or my, my wife isn't receiving that. And again, you know, if it's really, really sour, then it's, it's not an anxiety or OCD issue. It's a marital issue. And that's something totally separate. Okay. So it can help. If you say to your partner, like, here are the list of triggers. These are the things that tend to really, really trigger them. And these are the ones that we're working on, or these are the things that this is the way that um, we can handle this. And so when John doesn't like the way anyone else is singing, we can tell him that he, you know, he doesn't control other people. He only controls himself. And we just point him to take, put his headphones on. And so some of our partners, you know, they wouldn't admit this, but they just need a script. They need a playbook. They need to know what am I supposed to do in these situations? It's not intuitive. And you're expecting that I know, and I don't know. So 
you obviously know your partner the best and how they'll receive this information, but giving them a playbook of these are all their triggers. And these are the things that I don't do because we're not working on it and it's too overwhelming. And these are the things that, um, these are the responses that I give because sometimes, um, the other aspect of this is they take it personally. So when we can depersonalize it and say, these things happen, it's anxiety or OCD. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about anything. It's about anxiety or OCD. Anxiety or OCD has a problem when you do that, or that was an OCD trigger. And so that huge meltdown wasn't about you and your son. That was about you and OCD. So helping them separate that out can be really helpful. And I think sometimes like with my husband, I would just give him, he would actually was really good at modeling, like not, he was good at observing how I model things. And then he would often just like regurgitate exactly how I said things. Now there were times where he didn't, when he lost his cool and I would have to bite my tongue because in the moment I knew if I, if I swooped in and I said something, he would get very defensive and he would shut down. And so he wouldn't ever hear, even if I came back to it later, he would just hear in his mind, not what I would verbally say that he was being a bad parent. And so it was hard because I'd have to bite my tongue and wait for another moment at a different time and then talk to him in the way that I'm talking to you and saying like, I know it's really frustrating when he does that. I get that, but I want you to have a good relationship with him. And the way that I handle it is sometimes I just say, you know, if you're not, if you're going to be like that, you need to just go to your room because it's not about us, right? It's about, it's about him and his anxiety or OCD. And I know it can feel like it's us because sometimes I feel like it, you know, it hurts my feelings too, but I have to remind myself, it's not me, it's the OCD. And I just, I just tell him, if you're going to act like that, then you need to go in your room and, um, you know, reset and come back down. So you can see in that example, what I'm doing again is I'm putting it on me, what I do, how it makes me feel. This is the way I solve it in a tone. That's not like I'm the best and you're sucky. And let me tell you how I do it because I'm amazing and how you do it. Cause you suck. <laughs> no, one's going to listen to that. So yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So if you can give them a playbook tell them what you do or the therapeutic approach that you've been trying, I wouldn't say the therapist says I would avoid that. I would say the therapeutic approach that we're working on is blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think that that way you're not tainting the therapist if that becomes an issue. Okay. I want to move on to emotional contamination briefly for the end. So there is a whole podcast episode on this as well. That would be a really good one for your partner to listen to if they are the source of the trigger. Um, Emotional contamination is when somebody is actually contaminated. And so the child with OCD can't touch that person or can't be around that person. Everything that person touches or says is contaminated. Um, I'm not going to dive too deep into that because I think that that is the bulk of you who are listening to this aren't going to be experiencing that, but I do want to give you some resources if you are dealing with that. So listen to episode 167 and have your partner listen to episode 167 because the big issue with that is it's hard to not take that personally. I also have a YouTube video on that for the child or the teenager who has that. So if you go to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash anxious taller 78, and that's a mouthful, but I do have a link in the show notes as well, or you can just go to YouTube and just type in Natasha Daniels OCD and my channel will pop up. 
and you can go there. Once you're on my YouTube channel, there is a search button where you can search just that particular channel on a desktop. I don't know if you're on a phone, if you can do that, but if you type in emotional contamination, that YouTube video will pop up. So I make YouTube videos predominantly for kids and teens and young adults with anxiety or OCD. Sometimes there's some parent stuff in there, but predominantly my YouTube channel is for the kids and teens with OCD and my podcast are for the parents um, or therapists who are trying to help kids with anxiety or OCD. So I feel like I've got the world covered between the podcast and the YouTube channel and my online course and my membership. So whatever level of support you want, I feel like I've got you covered. Um, So check out my YouTube channel and then look for the emotional contamination YouTube video. So between the podcast and the YouTube video, whatever I would say to you, you would get that in there. So the full episode, um, episode 167, will go into emotional contamination and how to deal with that. Because that can be really hard. The other types of triggers that you can have where your partner is just a walking trigger is maybe they are more germy or maybe with misonia. And I do have a whole episode on that. And that is episode 26. And that misophonia is it's when your brain, it's actually your limbic system, can't handle certain noises. So it's not like a sensory processing issue. It's like when there's certain noises, it tends to be around your mouth, um, like lip smacking or eating or water sounds or clicking sounds. And it can it can lead to rage. And so I do have a full episode on that, episode 26. Actually, if you go to my website, um, at atparentingsurvival.com and you go all the way to the bottom, there is a search button and type in misophonia, M-I-S-O-P-H-O-N-I-A. I actually have quite a few resources on that. I have a couple of YouTube videos for kids and some articles on it. And I actually have the podcast episode, Emotional Contamination. It pops up as well because sometimes when kids have misophonia, the person that triggers them becomes contaminated. And so they want to avoid them at all costs because their OCD kind of glums onto it and says, "Ugh, they cause me so much discomfort. I want to avoid them. They're contaminated. It's kind of interesting and sad. So that's another way that our partners can trigger is they might, you know, make noises. They might eat loudly. They might do things that are upsetting. Ultimately, we want to say to our kids that they have to live with these triggers. And this is what I say to my kids is, you know, we're not going to accommodate your anxiety or OCD. We're not going to walk on eggshells because the rest of the world isn't going to. And so your teachers aren't, your bosses aren't, your friends aren't. So some people are going to be really gross next to you. Some people are going to eat loudly next to you. Some people are going to make you do things that you don't want to do. And so we don't want to over-accommodate our kids, anxiety or OCD, but also we don't need to be triggering them nonstop. (laughs) And so it's a balance, right? We don't want to have them live in like a cocoon, but we also want, we want them to be exposed to some things. And I know my oldest tends to trigger my two youngest. It's not because of anything that she's doing. It's because she'll talk about things that are unnecessary for my, my other two kids to understand. And so they might say something like, oh, you know, horror movies scare me. And then she'll go into, oh, the top three worst horror movies. And these are why they are really bad. (laughs) That was yesterday. I was like, stop. And she won't stop. And I'll be like, please stop. And she won't stop. So that might be something similar that maybe you're having with your partner is like, it's something they don't need to know. And it's not like they're, you're accommodating their anxiety or OCD. It's just like, it's information that is going to keep them up at night. It's something they don't need to know. And then maybe if it's something like that, 
you have a code word or a code gesture and you just say, look, I'm going to just give you a code word or code gesture if that's okay with you. And we can talk about it later, but I'm just telling you that whatever you're talking about in that moment, their anxiety or OCD is going to like run with it. Now, some things we don't want to, we don't want to over accommodate or cocoon our kids. And so if it's a topic like we can't ever talk about, you know, someone getting sick or throwing up because that's going to trigger our kids. Well, with the metaphobia, the fear of throwing up, we don't want to accommodate that. We don't want to change the way we talk or not use certain words or not say certain things that the rest of the world will use because we want to give them natural exposures, not do it necessarily on purpose. Like I'm going to just say vomit and bark and really trigger you. No, but if I'm talking to you about a coworker who got really sick, I don't want, yeah, that might be triggering to the child, but I don't want to walk on eggshells and I'm not going to filter what I'm saying, even if it will be triggering because that's a good natural exposure in the moment when I'm actually talking about something not on purpose to trigger them. That makes sense. I'll give you another example with my youngest daughter who has sensory motor OCD. If somebody has to go to the bathroom, she will freak out. And so even though it's triggering, like we were trick-or-treating last night and my son, you know, we got halfway through the block and my son said, I have to go pee. Well, I knew that was going to trigger my daughter. And in fact, let me throw myself under the bus because I like to do that to show you that I'm completely human and I mess up all the time. Uh, A little bit later, I didn't think my daughter heard it, but I didn't tell my son, don't say that. Although sometimes, honestly, I do when I just can't handle it. But she said, she got back from one of the doors of trick-or-treating and she said, did he say he he has to go to the bathroom? And I, doing a terrible mom thing, said, no, no, he just said he's tired. He wants to go home. (laughs) That was bad. I didn't want to ruin Halloween, you know? But I should have said, yes, he said he had to go to the bathroom. She would have been triggered. She would have cried and she would have said, we have to go. Xander, do you have to go? She would have bothered him. And you know what? I just didn't want to deal with it at that time. So I will end with the fact that we are all human. We all trigger our kids and sometimes we try to avoid it. And uh, it's a messy, messy, messy world that we live in. But we can try our best. And if there are things that your partner is doing, that doesn't need to be done and it's overwhelming everybody. I hope that the things that I suggested in here help you. Um, I hope that you find some tidbits to take away from this episode so that your relationship with your partner stays solid if it's has been solid or it improves the relationship because that that relationship is just as important as the one that you have with your kids and that the one that they have with their kids. So hope that helps. If you are enjoying the podcast, Don't forget to rate it. You can hit a star on a lot of podcast platforms. So that helps. You can also leave reviews and those really help as well. I always appreciate that. And to show my appreciation, I always like to end reading one of them if I see one. And so I do want to say thank you to SAH with a lot of cute emojis on top of that. And said, lifesaver, Natasha, it's been a lifesaver for any and every issue for my daughter with anxiety and even myself with anxiety and panic. She's very down to earth and offers practical advice and suggestions. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much for taking the time to write a review. And maybe if you write a review, I'll be reading yours next time. So I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I will talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 